about a month in, everybody on uh, track with school and schedules and everything, excited? Landon, how are you? Good to see you. Not excited? Yeah. Well, good. Well, always a joy to be here. Uh, very thankful for the school and the ministry here, and wonderful to see this room so full. Uh, what, a, what a great uh, start to the year for you guys, and very excited for Nebraska Christian, and uh, to have this time this morning to look at God's Word together. You can open to 1 Corinthians chapter 9 is where we'll be, 1 Corinthians 9. And let me ask you, uh, we are about a month removed from the Summer Olympics. How many of you are into the Olympics or were into the Olympics this last summer? How many of you actually sat down and watched if you had the uh, opportunity to do it? Okay, some of you. Okay. Yeah, it was uh, maybe four weeks ago they had the closing ceremonies in Rio. I'm not familiar with Olympic sports. I've never been real interested in watching them, either the summer or Winter Olympics as, you know, it's, it's just, I'm not familiar with it. I don't understand the sports. There's no football. There, there's basketball, but you're like, eh, it's not the NBA. So I always struggled with that a little bit. I'm thankful that some of you actually were watching and um, are into it. But one of the things about the Olympics that's always fascinating, no matter whether you like to watch them or not, is the athletes themselves. It's, it's quite interesting just to see the discipline, to understand that they have all their hopes and dreams are on these couple of weeks every four years. And it's just fascinating to, to marvel at their athleticism, uh, to see their dedication. And then to ask the question is, what, what all went into this preparation? Again, in some cases, like for, for runners, sprinters, for an event that takes just seconds. They've, they've plotted and planned and disciplined themselves for something that takes less than a minute every four years in an event. And was just looking up some of the some of the process for these athletes. Many of them, as they look to uh, the Olympics, they can train up to four to eight years before their first Olympics. It's interesting to watch as they plan out. They sacrifice their diets, which is the toughest one for me. They sacrifice their families, their jobs. Some of them, as they're training, are also working, sacrificing all that time looking at these events. They plan their training schedules up to four years in advance. Some of you are wondering what you're going to do tomorrow. Uh, These athletes are preparing themselves for their training regiments four years in advance. You take an athlete like uh, the the swimmer Michael Phelps. Any of you familiar with Michael Michael Phelps at all? Okay, most of you trust Arm. Great athlete, winner of many medals. His week looks somewhat like this if you do some research. He begins training at 6.30 p.m., He does six days a week of six hours of swimming. So six hours of swimming, six days a week. Weightlifting, stretching for uh, an hour, three days a week included in that as well, included on top of that six hours of swimming. So go through that schedule a little bit. And and the the fact that the Olympians, as they train, require usually about eight to ten hours of sleep to get their body refreshed as you do some of the research on it. That's the only connection I have with the Olympians is I would love to get that much sleep. That would be great. But it's remarkable, the discipline, the training that goes into these these athletes. And that's what we're going to consider this morning from 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And we're going to be looking at verses 24 through 27. Considering that Paul in this passage that we're going to consider uses as a metaphor athletics, the athlete, or even specifically, as we've been talking this morning, uh, the Olympics. And And he uses that as a metaphor for the Christian life. And what he's specifically looking at this morning that is important for us is he's looking at the idea of discipline and self-control 
in the area of athletes and applying it to the Christian life and saying, this is what we as Christians need. If, if someone can compete for something that's temporal, like sports, athletics, the Olympics, well then what should the Christian who has a much more important, a much more important goal, what should discipline and self-control look like in their lives? And that's something that is important for all of us this morning, whether you're a young person, important whether you're a teacher, an adult in this room, the importance of self-control and discipline in the Christian life, and asking the question, well, why? Isn't that for somebody else? That's the issue that usually comes up with discipline. Is, isn't, isn't self-control and being uh, uh, scheduled out and disciplined in my life as a Christian, isn't that for maybe you, speaker, you're, you're, the, you're the pastor, read your Bible, minister to people, talk about God all the time, Maybe it's for my, my teacher who teaches Bible. It's for them, right? But I can slack off. It's not as important. I know the Lord. I know Christ. Well, I want to look at what God's Word says about this and this idea of self-control and discipline and comparing it to athletics and asking yourself the question this morning is, uh, are you disciplined looking at your life and evaluating your life and saying, you're disciplined in something, but are you disciplined for Christ-likeness? That's what I want you to ask yourself this morning. Is are you self-controlled and disciplined towards Christ's likeness for the glory of God? The Apostle Paul says in another text, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. That is something that is to be applicable to every single Christian if you profess the name of Christ this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 to 27. Let me read our passage. We'll make a couple observations, and then I'll give you an outline that maybe can help you make our way through this passage. Verse 24, the Apostle Paul writes, Do you not know... That those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize. Run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Therefore I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air, but I discipline my body and make it my slave, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Again, just a brief reading of that, you observe that Paul, his illustration here for the Christian life, his metaphor is the Olympic Games. The Olympic Games are not something that is only for us as modern people. In the ancient world, they also had the Olympics every four years. In fact, the people that Paul was writing to had something called the Isthmus Games. The Corinthians had the Isthmus Games that were every two years, about 10 miles from their city. And these games were very familiar to us. They would have been familiar to us today. They would have running and jumping and boxing, wrestling. They were all individual sports. So the athlete themselves was really the one who was most honored. There was no team sports. It wasn't the Olympic team that won and was honored. It was the athlete. And when you got the prize, when you were number one in your respective race or wrestling match or boxing match, you were almost to some degree, godlike statues built for you, great honor bestowed upon you. And it's with these games that Paul gives us an illustration for the Christian life as to the discipline that's needed. I think you see that here. And Paul's going to specifically look at two events that he would have been familiar with and also the, the readers here, both racing and boxing, two events that were found in the Olympics during that time. So let's ask the question this morning, uh, why is self-control and discipline necessary in the Christian life, and how do we attain it? My goal this morning for all of us, myself included, is to stir us up towards 
discipline in the Christian life, the discipline that we find in the Word of God, not being disciplined or self-controlled just without aim, but purposeful discipline in our lives as Christians. So we're going to look at, we could say, three motivations that, that stir us up this morning. And the first one I want to consider as we, can, as we look back at this passage is that we would establish the right perspective. What's important is if we're going to approach uh, the Christian life, again, if you name the name of Christ this morning, if we're going to approach it the way that the Word of God tells us to, we need to have the right perspective when it comes to discipline and self-control. Let me use this example. Now, somebody tell me, okay, how many of you in here love dessert? That's your favorite portion of a meal. Okay. Garrett Swantek, what's your favorite dessert? It better be a good one. Cherry, cherry pie? That has fruit, that has fruit in it. it. Okay, okay. Cherry pie. We'll take cherry pie with a lot of sugar, with a lot of sugar. Just add a lot of sugar to it. Cherry pie. Let's say that Garrett or any one of you that likes cherry pie or any other dessert, maybe in your mind you have something else. If you decide that in your diet you love to eat cherry pie, you love about 15 slices a day. And that just, that, that, that hits the spot for you. When you go to your doctor for your yearly physical, guess what your doctor's going to say? You think he's going to go, you know what, you're doing great, healthy, healthy, uh, you know. No, he's probably going to say, you continue that diet of 15 slices of cherry pie a day, and I'm sorry to tell you, you're going to have some major physical problems later, if not very, very soon. And so he would recommend maybe six to seven slices a day instead, (laughs) give you something. But when the doctor says, you're going to have some health problems, maybe even major problems, you have a bit of a change of perspective. You might start to exercise some degree of self-control with your cherry pie or whatever dessert you may have in your mind. And that's what Paul seeks to get at here as he begins asking the Corinthians about uh, the perspective on the Christian life, on growing in Christ. He says, do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize Run in such a way that you may win. In this passage, we see Paul's perspective. Notice as you, again, take a glimpse across these four verses here and see the intensity of what Paul is saying. In that first line, do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Paul's bringing out the obvious statement to the Corinthians and to us this morning, is that these athletes don't get involved in the games just to take a jog around the track. They're in the games not to get second place, not to just get a nice shirt like we do often today in a a marathon. They were there to win. They were there to sprint. They were there to be number one. They were there to be vigorous, to receive the prize that only went to the one who won the race. And so Paul says, do you understand that? Because that gives us at least initially a picture of the intensity of what Paul's talking about here. In fact, look down at verse 25. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. That word therefore competes is the word struggle in the Greek. It's, a, it's where we get our word today, agonize. That this was an agonizing struggle for these Olympians. I mean, you see it on the face. You watch sports. Maybe it's even football. Thankfully, the NFL's back. We can enjoy that every weekend now. But you watch sports the agony on an athlete's face who wants to win. It's a struggle. Look down at verse 26. Look at, as Paul changes the imagery here, therefore I run in such a way, again running, 
I'd box in such a way as not beating the air. But I discipline my body and make it my slave. Paul goes to boxing, which is interesting. The Apostle Paul looks at the illustration of boxing and notice the intensity there. Notice verse 27, I discipline my body. The word there means to give someone a black eye. Paul is saying, I beat my body. And we're going to see in a moment, that doesn't mean physical beating. What he's saying here is, I exert all the effort I can. What's the purpose? For Christ-likeness. To grow. Because Paul understood that in the Christian life, it is a struggle. We have sinful impulses. We have temptation both inward, that's where temptation starts, and external. We have temptations. And Paul says, if we understand the reality of life, then we understand that we are in a a struggle, an agonizing struggle to grow in Christ, to be like the Savior who has given his life for us. So as we begin this morning, let me ask you, is that your perspective on the Christian life? The temptation oftentimes is to look at Christianity as, okay, I understand, I'm forgiven, I come to Christ, I place my faith in him, my sins are forgiven, I'm washed, I have the joy of knowing that heaven is guaranteed, and, and that is all true. But the reality of the word of God is thou, though there is now therefore no condemnation for those in Christ, you are saved, you're washed. Salvation is guaranteed. You can never lose your salvation. We'll consider that topic later. All those realities are true, but the word of God also says, now that you're a believer, now that you love the Lord Jesus Christ, now that you understand why did he crucify himself on a cross, now that you understand that, you understand that you are now pursuing holiness with vigor, with a struggle, because sin is very real and sin is very, very dangerous. And so the Apostle Paul says it's a race, it's a boxing match. And if we have that perspective, notice what he says in verse, uh, up back in verses 24 and 25. And the main, really the main command in this passage, in verse 24, he says, run in such a way that you may win. Again, he goes back to the intensity, to the, the, the focus here of we're not just jogging around the track, we're not taking a stroll around the park, we're there to win, we're there to win. But now let me make sure you understand something about verse 24. Remember that we're not saying in this that somehow you're competing in the Christian life with other Christians. That if you leave chapel this morning saying, I'm holier than you, because that's what the chapel seeker said, I'm, I'm trying to beat you out. That's not the point. The reason why Paul's not saying that we're run in this race together, because we understand that we are as Christians, is because there was no group events. There was no team events in the Olympics. So he's applying this only to individual contests. And he's saying, focus on yourself this morning. And I would tell you the same thing. When it comes to discipline, so, so often we can say, that's your problem. That's for the person sitting next to me because I know that they haven't been in the Word this week. I don't think their prayer life is up to par. Students, I want you to consider yourselves this morning. Are you disciplined for the purpose of godliness? Are you pursuing Christ? Do you love Him and is that evident? And Paul would say, if you proclaim Christ, run in such a way that you may win. And how do you run in such a way that you may win? What's the training required? Everyone who competes, verse 25, in the games exercises self-control. This is the training here. You understand, and we all understand, that when these Olympians show up in Rio for these contests, they have trained and trained and trained and sacrificed and disciplined themselves. That was true in the ancient world. In fact, it was required of 
contestants to almost take an oath to abstain from wine, to abstain from meat, other personal practices, to say no to these things for up to 10 months before the Olympic Games. And if they didn't, if they failed to train themselves properly, in a sense, and you can read some of the literature, they were sinning against the Games. They sinned against the Olympic Games, and they were disqualified. They needed to be trained. And as Paul takes this into the metaphor here, he's saying to the Christian, you must be self-controlled. You must be disciplined. You must understand the struggle of sin. You must understand the importance of pleasing Christ and being like your Savior, understanding that he is Lord of your life, and you must have this perspective in your Christian life. So consider that this morning. I would, I would, I would urge you to pray through what this looks like. I mean, we use the example already, but in, in, and so often we do. I bet every preacher that comes here talks about the spiritual disciplines, reading the Word of God, understanding your Bible, this book. Why do you have it? Why do we read it? Why is it always talked about how we should read it more and meditate more and pray more? It's not about just being religious. That's not what we're talking about here. It's talking about knowing Christ more, that the way that God has told us we will grow is through His Word through prayer, through fellowship in your local church. That's the reason why you have Bible classes here and you have groups that often meet after chapel to talk about the Word because it's through the Word of God we grow. And So let me ask you, if you look at this topic of discipline, what does that look like in your life? Is it, well, I get my chapel sermon a week and I think I hear a sermon on Sundays as well. If that's it, I would challenge you to consider the perspective that you are sinful and that that's a struggle and a fight. And God has given you the Spirit of God if you know the Lord Jesus Christ, so you can fight, but you don't fight by sitting back, by jogging around the track or walking. You fight by striving for godliness, being disciplined for the purpose of godliness. So have the right perspective. Number two, and we could say it this way, you need to have the right motivation. You need it. We need, this morning, a change of perspective than often or the temptation just to say, well, I'm going to sit back, God's going to work in me, I don't really need to do anything. That's not a biblical concept. But number two, you need to have the right motivation as well. The right motivation as we consider verse uh, 24. Again, Paul talks about self-control. But notice, again, and, and this is where the, our, our metaphor and the reality sort of switch in contrast here. Paul says everyone who competes in the games, verse 25, exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. In the Olympic Games in ancient Greece, they received a crown, the victor received a crown, and it was made of, and this is, this is I bet this excites you, it was made of pine or celery. They got a piece of celery on their head. Pretty exciting, huh? I bet that would motivate you to train for 10 months, abstain. I mean, obviously, it was more than that. Even they acknowledged that it wasn't the wreath on their head. It was the recognition. Again, these men oftentimes would be, statues would be built. Honor would be bestowed. The glory of the moment while they wore a piece of celery on their head. And Paul says, you understand that in the games, Christians, that's what happens. But we have a different goal. It's not temporal. Notice again verse 25. They receive a perishable wreath, this celery, this pine that was placed on their head. Even the glory of the moment, we an imperishable one. What does he mean by that? We receive eternal life. What we are fighting for is something far more important. It's something that's everlasting. 
What we're looking towards is something that is greater and goes beyond just this temporal time, just this earth. The prize is eternal life. The prize is our Lord Jesus Christ saying to his servant, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your master. We're looking to Christ. We're looking to eternal life. We're focused on becoming more like Christ now and understanding that that will finally be completed when either we die or the Lord Jesus Christ returns. And in heaven, we are fully like him for all eternity, able to worship him in perfection. That's our struggle. And yet that's our hope. That's our motivation. It's not something that's going to last a couple days, a couple months, a couple years, or even 50 years. We're talking about eternity. We're talking about the motivation here that goes into eternity. Now, you might ask the question of verse 25. Are you telling me that we're saved by effort? That's what I want to be careful of here. That somehow, if this side of the room is more self-controlled than this side of the room, they might get eternal life and you might not. That's not what we're talking about here. I hope you students understand salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. We are saved by God's grace, his undeserved favor. Salvation is only in him by relying completely on him and in his person and his work, his life, his death, his resurrection. Salvation is fully of God and his grace. So what are we talking about here? We're talking here about being conformed to his image. We're not talking about salvation by effort, but we're understanding the reality that those who are saved will evidence that salvation in growth in fruit. In other words, this morning, and I would challenge you with this, if you name the name of Christ, students, let me tell you, but you look at your life and you don't care about these things, you don't care about growth, you don't care about discipline, you don't care about Christ-likeness, let me challenge you to examine your faith. Because this passage is teaching us and reminding us and implying here that those who have saving faith are those who are growing. Because the gospel transforms your entire life. When Jesus saves you, it changes you from the inside out. changes you from the inside out. To where now you go, before I lived life for myself, before I lived for the temporal, I lived for the world. Now I live for Christ. Now I want to be holy. And we so often fail in that, don't we? But you're totally different than you used to be. You desire Christ-likeness now. That is one of your goals. And the motivation is, again, those words, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy that has been prepared for you. That's what we desire as Christians. Number three, and lastly, and it's a very similar theme to what we're seeing here. You could say heed the right warning of this passage. As we seek to be disciplined as Christians, we need to heed the warning that we find in this passage as well. We're going to see this in verses 26 and 27 here. But as we jump into that here for a moment, I want to tell you the story of a, of a man. His name is Jim Marshall. If you're familiar with the NFL at all, Jim Marshall was a, I think it was a defensive back for the Vikings back in the day. He's an older gentleman now, but you've probably seen the clip. Jim Marshall is most well-known. He's a good football player, good defensive lineman, good player. But he's most well-known, I think, for one clip is that the Vikings were playing the 49ers, and there was a fumble, and Jim picked up the fumble, and he ran 66 yards for what he thought was a touchdown. Problem was, when he picked up the football, he got disoriented, and he didn't know where he was, and he actually ran the wrong way. 
So he runs in the end zone, spikes the ball, puts his hands up, and the weirdness to him was all of a sudden the 49ers surrounded him. He's on the Vikings, and we're celebrating with him. That doesn't make a lot of sense. He actually scored a safety for the 49ers instead of a touchdown for the Vikings. His coach said to him, Jim, you did the most interesting thing in the game today. That's all the words of the coach for him. They ended up winning, and I think he had a sack later that was important to the game. So he, he had the wrong goal. He didn't know where he was going. And that's, that's what Paul tries to avoid for us in the Christian life here in verses 26 and 27. Notice this again. Therefore, I run in such a way and not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air. I discipline my body, make it my slave, so that after I've preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Notice that the self-control that we're talking about this morning and the discipline is, is not uh, purposelessness. It's not uselessness. It's not being disoriented. We're not talking this morning about being disciplined that somehow I want to be like Christ, so I'm going to go lift more weights. That's two separate things. I mean, there's importance to that. But we're talking about here a purpose. He says, I don't run without aim. I I don't see the goal over there, but run the opposite direction. He says, I don't box and just wave my arms in the air. I think of my boys who, uh, they they love the, any of you play the Wii video game system? Any any of you familiar with that? Like four of you, great. And it's only boys, that's not shocking. Um, Girls are like, what? You guys are much smarter than us men, so... But there, you know, my, my, my son, my nine-year-old son, he loves Wii, and he's playing like Donkey Kong, and he jumps around. Well, him jumping doesn't make Donkey Kong jump higher. It's, it's his fingers. It's what he's doing on the control. And sure, there's some, somewhere you, you move it, but he thinks jumping, and the whole house shakes. Somehow does it. And Paul here is saying, I don't shadow box. I don't, I don't box the air when I'm in the ring. What do I want? I want a shot at the face. I want to knock the guy out. It's boxing imagery here. We're not without aim in the Christian life. Our goal is Christ-likeness. Our goal is holiness. Our goal is heaven, the pleasure of the Lord, the Lord who has saved us. And he said, therefore, I discipline my body. I make it my slave. Again, as I said earlier, this means he gives himself a black eye. He deals with himself. And you might ask, well, what does this mean? Is this physical bodily punishment? Not at all. The reason why Paul uses the word body is to finish the metaphor. The point here is Paul is understanding, as we all as Christians should, sin begins with us. I'm the source of my sin. I'm the one responsible. It's the lust of my heart, James chapter 1. And Paul says, because I know that, I deal with myself, I discipline myself, I have self-control, I master my body, not only master sin, but also those things that distract me from Christ and holiness So when he says, I discipline my body, make it my slave, he's saying, I get rid of sin so that I can live a holy life for the glory of God. I take sin seriously. And to emphasize how serious it is, notice what he says at the very end here. He says, I do this so that after I've preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. What's he saying here? Is he saying you can lose your salvation? No. That's not what the Bible, the Bible says that once you know the Lord Jesus Christ, because salvation is of him, You are always saved. You're guaranteed eternal life. In fact, you have eternal life the moment you believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. What Paul's saying here is he's he's, he's bringing up the tension that exists here, and we said it earlier that it's about the evidence. What is it that your life displays? You may proclaim Christ, but are you pursuing Christ now? Sin is dangerous, students. Let me tell you that. 
Paul understood that. He understood like Jesus. Remember Jesus, Matthew 5 says, if your, if your arm causes you to sin, cut it off. If your eye causes you to stumble, cut it off. Jesus, again, the metaphor there was deal with sin, it's dangerous. Because if you don't, and Jesus even says, you'd rather do that than go to hell. You, you say, well, what is he saying? I, I can lose my salvation? No, not at all. Jesus is saying, those who know me deal with sin. And let me tell you this morning is that if you're letting sin reign in your life, control your life, master your life, when you have that sort of practice in your life, there's no guarantee of assurance there. That's the type of life I would not want for any of you to say, I don't even know if I'm saved because I I just love sin. And that's all I do. I love my sin. And if that's you this morning, I would say, talk with your teachers. Repent of your sin. Turn to Christ. But if you know the Lord, I would just encourage you this morning, examine your life. The Word of God tells all of us to examine our lives very often to say, and, and when we see growth, we praise the Lord. When we see areas of sin, we repent. It's an encouragement. We examine so we can be reminded of the grace of God and be reminded and refreshed and focused here with purpose of, okay, there's an area of sin. That's what I'm going to work on now because I want to grow in Christ. I want to please my Savior. So discipline and self-control are so vital for all of us. Again, this is not a message just for you students. This is for all of us as adults, anyone who names the name of Christ this morning. And let me just tell you, it starts now. Begin to think through what this looks like in your life. What does it mean to be a disciplined, self-controlled Christian? It's not without aim, as Paul says. It's for the glory of Christ. It's for the pleasure of the God who has saved you so graciously through his Son. Let me pray for us as we close our morning. Father, thank you so much for this time, God. It's, it's always refreshing to be in your word. God, thank you for the salvation. Thank you that, Heavenly Father, you sent your only Son into this world to save sinners such as us. God, what a, what a wonderful reminder of the grace of salvation that, God, in, when you save us, there's now, therefore, no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. And I thank you for that. I thank you uh, for your work here at Nebraska Christian, for these precious students this morning. Thank you for their attentiveness. And Spirit of God, we pray for fruit. We pray that you would do as you would for your glory through the proclamation of your word this morning, that we would leave here motivated, excited to pursue Christ with greater passion than even the the moment we came in this morning. All for the glory of God, and we pray these things in the name of Christ. Amen.